Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, the podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and why have one exorcism when you can have two at twice the price? Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. I wish esteemed character actor and Dowd was my neighbor. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. First things first, I'm going to say all the words inside my head because I'm on a podcast to do with my friends. Ooh, ooh, a podcast wow. with my friends. <laughs> Just ruining that song for me, Jeff. Wow. I am not joking. Uh, th- this is this is not an exaggeration or a joke. Uh-huh. My wife and I have ru- a rule that I cannot play that song in her presence. <laughs> I yeah, good on her. Good on her. She hates Imagine Dragons, and uh, you know I think that song has a nice, you know, a cool little opening there, and so, and it's a very memorable like instrumental opening. Pain. So, so, it uh, every time I hear them, it just disturbs my peace. So I totally understand her. You know, and like so my I day's going so, fine, and then I hear Imagine Dragons. So. It, it it puts me in a relationship deficit if I <laughs> if I play that song in her presence. So that's how bad that is. Okay, that's how much you like that song. It's that's how much I love that song. That's by the way, for those who don't know, that's Believer by Imagine Dragons that Jeff was um, covering just now. Anyway. Those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing The Exorcist Believer, the latest horror film by director David Gordon Green, uh, and a direct sequel to William Friedkin's classic The Exorcist, mm-hmm. which we reviewed last week on the Patreon page for this podcast at patreon.com slash film podcast you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com and find us on youtube and instagram and threads at the filmcast pod we're also on tiktok at the filmcast and uh every now and then guys i find like a pair of comments on one of our episodes that feels like it perfectly sums up what it's like uh-huh. to make this podcast I, I actually saw some comments on spotify once that were like comments saw, on spotify yeah Those yeah like this? so on spotify must they did we this, spotify must we <laughs> on spotify they did this thing where like you can pose a question to your audience right and it's and and um by default the question is what did you think of the episode and spotify turned this option on for all podcasts for every episode uh, which is extremely annoying because I didn't want that. So I deactivated it for everything. But it was like, wow, that's that's uh, irritating. Anyway, one time on Spotify, uh, for an episode that I shall not name, uh, somebody commented, this is the best guest you have ever had on this podcast. I was like, amazing. Next comment, please never have this person on again. They're terrible. You know, and it's like, oh, okay. I, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do with that feedback. Uh, youtube.com slash at the filmcast pod is where we publish our movie reviews. And last week we published our uh, conversation about the creator, which has turned out to be a very polarizing film. Uh, I did not know it would be so polarizing when it first was, when I first saw it. Uh, and we got these comments. Uh, this one, this comment at youtube.com slash at the filmcast pod. Speak for yourself, Jeff. We loved the movie. Not every movie needs to be spoon-fed every single detail. Is America really that dumb that they can't (laughs) think for themselves? Yes, the ending was choppy due to it being cut down from five hours long. But seriously, reviews like this is why we'll we'll get more awful remakes. Because your reviews are so painful to watch and turning off people from supporting original non-IP movies in the theater, end quote. This is is the problem with... 
America, by the way, Jeff, is mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. our reviews and specifically your comments, Jeff. Yeah, being too I would hard just like on to point out silly movies. Yeah, that I always speak for myself. There's no one else <laughs> I'm speaking for. In, in fact, I, I feel like you always made that phrase known, Jeff. Like you always used <laughs> yes, to say in your I opinion. Say in my yes, opinion, that was your thing. Yeah, yeah. I, so well, let it be known here and forevermore. I speak for myself. <laughs> Uh, Achtung Englander wrote in the following comment, um, just, just a mere 24 hours, uh, within that time frame of the first comment, Jeff is 100% on point. He speaks for me. <laughs> Visually spectacular, tonally the creator is a mess. The last half hour is rushed and off kilter with the first hour and a half. The whole film did not go beyond the superficial level, a complete missed opportunity, end quote. Uh, so... I just think it's always amusing when there's just comments like yeah, completely diametrically opposed. Almost like people can have complete different opinions on Absolutely. Like the same thing. Shocking. Absolutely. Shocking. The, but what, the what bigger th- concern... Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. My favorite, my favorite thing is when someone says, speak for yourself. All of us think the difference <laughs> different than you. Speak for yourself, because everyone here thinks differently than you, Jeff. Um, the thing that I love about these comments is apparently Jeff is the only person sharing any opinions worth commenting on on the podcast. Is kind of what I my takeaway is from this. So anyway, uh, we always welcome your feedback at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. I, I think they're just criticizing the limerick. <laughs> and at youtube.com slash at the filmcast pod. But I mean, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, I will say as a, as a person that creates things for the internet, sometimes like you just got to follow your gut because you get diametrically opposed feedback a lot of the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one example of it. So anyway, uh, just one thing, uh, I want to thank you for all your thing. feedback, everybody. We take Absolutely. it all to heart. Uh, I, I didn't say we take it all to heart. It's all useful, you know, but I don't say we take it all to heart. Uh, anyway, again, I'll be slash fuming on these com. for weeks. <laughs> indeed, <laughs> indeed. Uh, of course, we've got a bunch of what we'll be watching for you, some weekly plugs, and then our review of The Exorcist Believer. But there is uh, one thing I wanted to mention before we get into uh, our conversation today. Obviously, the writer's strike recently resolved. SAG after us still on strike. We hope they get a fair contract soon. One of the big deal points uh, at stake in that contract is around the use of AI, the use of people's images, um, and how they can be used. And in the last week, several incidents involving AI recreations of uh, popular actors have come to light. First of all, probably the most concrete one, uh, there was an AI ad of Tom Hanks promoting dental insurance. So it appeared to be Tom Hanks and... Promoting dental insurance, and Tom Hanks had to come out and say, "He does have good teeth, you know. <laughs> he does. He had, to, he had to come out and post publicly say, that's not me. Uh, I don't care about your teeth.' Is that Hanks. is that not? Can you not sue them? Yeah. Is that? I mean, is, did they? Did the dental ironic. insurance people think they would get away with faux Tom Hanks? Uh, I'm sure he can, and perhaps he will pursue legal yeah. uh, things again. But by like, the time but, that happens, a lot of the damage has been done. Yes, you know, some people, yes, maybe true. some people signed up for this dental insurance, and and um, I have a feeling these people uh, promoting the dental insurance may not have an office on Main Street, Jeff. They can just may not be escape. on the up and up. They can know? just escape into the night, you know, with the money. <laughs> um, so, uh, also a couple of other things have happened. Uh, Robin Williams's daughter. 
uh, uh, Zelda Williams posted on Instagram condemning the use of AI to recreate images and uh, the voice of her father. Uh, she said, quote, I am not an impartial voice in SAG's fight against AI. I've witnessed for years how many people want to train these models to recreate actors who cannot consent like dad. Mm. This isn't theoretical. It is very real. I've already heard AI used to get his voice, quote unquote, to say whatever people want. And while I find it personally disturbing, the ramifications go far beyond my own feelings. Uh, and then she later said, um, these recreations are at their very best, a poor facsimile of greater people, but at their worst, a horrendous Frankensteinian monster cobbled together from the worst bit of everything this industry is instead of what it should stand for, end quote. Perfect. She's um, also a voice actor. She was in Korra and a bunch of things. So, Actually, yeah. you know, Devendra, you and I mm -hmm. are in a unique position to be able to speak on this because uh -huh. our voices have <laughs> also been similarly uh -huh. just mm -hmm. ripped from us, stolen, used in, in malicious ways. Will. Yeah, yeah. Against our will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, in, by some third party who remains nameless. <laughs> Indeed. There are two parties here. There are two parties here who yeah. have suffered, and yeah, there's yeah. also a nameless third party. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Perhaps, um, perhaps, you know, your voices were uh, co-opted for the promotion of a paywalled uh, bonus podcast. Uh, yeah. Did we see a dime of that money? <laughs> yes, but yes, that, that's absolutely. beside the point. Uh, and then, of course, the mm -hmm. the last party that that uh, was in the news was Mr. Beast, guys. Mr. Beast uh, was promoting an iPhone scam on a TikTok ad. Uh, he appeared in this TikTok ad and said, hey, if you're seeing this ad, you've been chosen to win an iPhone. Which made me realize that for like a guy who gives away... Like cars and houses yeah, and phones yeah. is specifically highly susceptible to being faked and therefore he, duping uh, your fans. He perhaps set a bad precedent <laughs> for being scammed. Listen, like, oh guys, no! If they think I'm going to give them free stuff because yeah. I've been giving them free stuff. Yeah, exactly. If yeah. we can't trust Mr. Beast, who can we trust? Who can we trust, really? It's a good um, question. But his, Mr. Beast called out how social platforms are completely unprepared for this. Like, mm -hmm. there is. No precedent for this, and there's no. It's not like they have in place like, oh, must verify this person is real before they accept the ad, but they probably should because otherwise more scams will come. Absolutely. Um, yeah, David, what were you gonna say? Uh, I was gonna say I actually just talked to a company here in Atlanta who have developed a real-time AI voice detector, like deepfake detector. They were actually the company that uh, that was used to determine uh, Anthony Bourdain's voice was uh, faked in that uh, documentary, right? The the one about his life. So. We're going to need these tools, for the, folks. For the yeah, deep we need fake them. detectors and $100. We need a deep <laughs> fake detector. It's, a, it's seriously to live. Like you will you will need this to go through your daily life. It is wild like that's the reality mm -hmm. we're just stepping wear it around into. your neck. Yeah. yeah, just wear it around your neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that would be very useful. Um but yeah, Jeff, I don't know if you had any any reaction seeing these stories pop up and, and I know the AI stuff is something you're quite passionate about. Yeah, I mean we you know as I often say, Mr. Beast said it best. <laughs> <laughs> As goes Mr. Beast, so goes the country. We right? are woefully unprepared. He said uh, social platforms, that's the tip of the ice. We are yeah. woefully unprepared as a species. Yeah. We are woefully unprepared as a culture. We are woefully unprepared for this tsunami that's about to hit us. It, we are, we, we've, we're in the first tiny waves, the, the tiniest little 
little swells of of this. The tsunami is just offshore, and it's moving fast. I'm, I'm telling you, man, <laughs> we have no idea what it's going to be like in two years. Yeah, two, yeah. It, it, like this next election cycle is going to be obscene. Yep, and yep. and it's going to get even. It's just going to get worse. It's things crazy. are already bad right now. And we yeah. have Elon motherfucking Musk promoting <laughs> dudes that like just. Po- just post stuff that's generated by AI. Post fake shit. Like it's insanity. This it's- is the bad place. Like we are in the bad place right now. So we People need tools to help us. Good God. Create things and put it out there. And then other people that folks look up to mm-hmm. are like, hey, follow that person for news. It's insane. Yeah. Insane. I saw obviously with all the inf- the terrible uh, events unfolding in the Middle East, like a lot of uh, video game footage being passed off of as actual yeah. attacks on yes. Twitter. Also, prove that, that Twitter is no longer a good like real time news platform because it's surrounded by garbage. Yeah. Well, it, the, the thing that's also odd is like well, not odd, but mm-hmm. uh, unfortunate is many social platforms are pulling back on verification on. Uh, making sure that the stuff that's being passed around is accurate. This mm-hmm. is not even just true of Elon Musk, but also Facebook and other social platforms. Um, a lot of the people who we have decided to spend a lot of our time, a lot of platforms where we decided to spend a lot of our times have decided it's just not worth it. Um, and it couldn't be happening at a worse time. All these developments couldn't be happening at a worse time where uh, we have a lot of high stakes elections coming up in our country and around the world. So uh, Happy times ahead, guys. Is kind of uh, kind of how I feel about it. Uh, right today, it's dental insurance. Tomorrow, it's Joe Biden doing something unconscionable. I mean, and, we know. we lived through misinformation in the twenty sixteen election, which we never fully like reckoned with. <laughs> like it, it has had like long standing repercussions, and it's going to get worse. Like it's unfortunately going to get worse, and you just got to sit tight, folks. And distrust is the goal. Be careful. That is, is the there. goal is yeah. to undermine everyone's faith and trust in institutions that is the goal it's not any one specific piece of misinformation Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's a tapestry of misinformation that makes you not believe anything anymore and so it's all fluid and you are malleable and easily manipulated it's 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 uh it's okay folks rfk jr is gonna be running as an independent so (laughs) everything is fine all right well anyway don't trust everything you see uh, question your sources and uh, well, but that's yeah. the problem Dave that's what I just said that's the fucking problem mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like the, the problem is that there's nothing to trust and so the, the lack of trust I, is I think the there's issue. one thing listeners can trust Jeff us, is, us is, right us, here us, yeah, us, oh, yeah. And we're not AI okay the amazing opinions that's, that we're dropping each week on, on the podcast exactly what AI would say Devendra mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think I, the, what I was trying to say Jeff is that there's some value in like hey footage of this attack you know verify that that's actually there's a shark in this flooding you know just just do the at at least do the bare minimum that's all yeah no i i I don't disagree but also like do your own research is probably is a lot of the problem right now hey no disagreement here that that's also a problem so it's also cheaper not to do any verification yeah you know indeed indeed all right well anyway um no easy solutions to this problems we're in uh but with that said no easy solutions, <laughs> only increasingly complex problems. Let's move on. And segue. <laughs> and segue. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor. We'll be back with what we've been watching on the Filmcast right after this. This episode of the Filmcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like your brain is getting in its own way? 
Have you ever been in a situation where you knew what was good for you, but your brain stopped you from doing it? This, <laughs> this happens to me all the time, far too frequently than I'd like to admit. I need to make that phone call. I need to reach out to that person. I need to sit down and write that email, but I can't. <laughs> My brain won't let me. This is something I have had to work on quite a lot in my life. And therapy helps you figure out what's holding you back so you can work for yourself instead of against yourself. Getting to the heart of what is going on with you helps you. I've certainly benefited from therapy in my life. And, and if you're thinking of getting started with therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Filmcast today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com Filmcast. F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. All right, folks, let's get to what we've been watching this week. And I am so excited to talk to you about Saw 10, guys. Which you I made, watched You made the it, Dave. Like, you made it to 10. Amazing. Yeah. I did just a... Just take a moment and mark the, <laughs> mark the occasion with a, I don't know, with an X. Yeah. I don't even... Is it really... I'm not even sure that it is the actual 10th tenth, tenth Spiral is in there. It's in the universe, They, they kind right? of pulled like a Windows 10, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And like they just skipped right to 10, you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> I bet there's see. more than just that similarity between Windows 10 and Saw X. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is actually the 10th uh, Saw film. So. Okay. Oh, uh, but they're not all numbered. They're, they're nothing not if not accurate, okay? These Saw movies. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Journalistic rigor is what the Saw films mm -hmm. go for. Uh, okay, guys, in, in, I have a little, you know, bit that I want to do about Saw 10. I'm going to need to reveal some plot details about the Saw movies to explain to you what's going on. I assume none of you get it. I will right? survive. I will okay. survive. Yeah, it's okay. okay. I love the first Saw, and then that's it. I have seen every single Saw film, several of them multiple times. And the question you might ask is, Why? Why, David Chen? You, 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 David Chen, seem like you have immaculate taste. In so, films. Some of us have given up on asking this question. So <laughs> you, you seem to have immaculate taste in films. Why would you burden yourself with a franchise that barely cracks thirty-five percent Rotten Tomatoes on a good day? And I have a number of answers to that question. But <laughs> first, of them, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> but first of all, uh, the the original premise of this film was. Hey, what if we put shitty people into these elaborate <laughs> traps uh, where they need to mutilate themselves in order to get free? And it's like, oh, you get watched terrible people get punished somehow for their crimes using the, I these. Don't know. Were, were they always terrible? Is the thing well, like Saw was a weird moralizing franchise, at least with the first movie from what, from what I've heard about the others, right? You were judged. In well, Saw. Devendra, you're not even. Yes. I mean, here's the thing in like. As the movies went on, the crimes uh -huh. that people committed became like less and less serious. And therefore, I think that was true in the first movie. And, and, therefore, yeah. and therefore, the fact that they were being subjected to this horror was like more and more ridiculous, you know? Because uh, uh -huh. a lot of the people in the first two films were like pretty bad. But like starting the third film, it's like this guy 
the, the main character's uh, child died mm-hmm. in the third film. And so it's like, and you've been an absent husband because your child died. How dare you? We're going to put you in this elaborate trap now. Like that's, and then like as time went on, like it, it became even more ridiculous the traps they would put, be put in because yeah, they weren't that terrible people, right? And so it kind of got ridiculous. But so, but so anyway, horrible people in elaborate traps, that's mm-hmm. already kind of a hook for the for the You will be project. judged by Saw, by Jigsaw. Yeah. But what's amazing is Tobin Bell plays the Jigsaw Killer, aka John Kramer. And uh he is awesome. He has a great voice, a great presence. He's like a, a very well-regarded character actor, and he does a good job playing Jigsaw. He's like, I want to play a game. You know, he, he does this whole, like, voice. Like, picture, like, Christian Bale in, you know, Batman movies, except even even more threatening than that, you know? Uh, and he did a great job. And the, the film franchise made the bold decision to kill off John Kramer in Saw 3, which is a movie that came out around 15 years ago. Excuse me, Saw 3D. No, 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 Saw 3. Oh, that's a different one than Saw 3D? Saw 3D is Saw, I think, 6 or 7. God, I hate um, this. <laughs> what? Yeah. what is wrong with you? Saw, Saw 3D is Saw 7. Um, it also was rebranded as Saw the Final Chapter when it hit home video because there was, no, there was no 3D a, anymore. D yeah, is a yeah. variable, and you're supposed to multiply <laughs> it by D? <laughs> multiply it, yeah. So Saw uh, X2 plus one. So they're like, hey, we're going to kill. This is how bold we are as filmmakers. Even though this franchise is minting money, we're going to kill off the the iconic character from the series and move on without Tobin Mm -hmm, Bell. mm -hmm. The problem is they never moved on from Tobin Bell playing uh, John Kramer. And so uh, that character was so critical to this franchise. They had to invent increasingly outlandish ways for that character to still be involved in the franchise. Um, so for instance, saw four, uh, there's a jigsaw and he's setting traps. It's like, how is this happening? You find out that saw four happened before he died in saw three. Right. <laughs> so then yeah. it's saw five. It's like, okay, yeah. jigsaw still killing people. How is that happening? How is jigsaw still killing people in saw five? Well, it turns out that he architected a bunch of stuff before he died and then hired other people to like carry it out after he died. Okay. And then That's so on and so planning. forth. Like. Yeah, Every he, he, single It's like subject. writing an email with a future send date. He just did that with elaborate traps. <laughs> just That's fine. right. Just it's just smart end of life planning is what you it, want absolutely, to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. This Brilliant. is like his version of advanced directive. Yeah. Um and so the movie never got away from John Kramer as like the central character of the films and it became ridiculous. It was ridiculous how you they kept bringing it back after every single movie. It was like how did this even happen? Um and so I I kept watching because it's just fun to see how these writers pretzel twist the timeline to like make it so that John Kramer can still be involved in the films. Enter Saw 10, which came out this past weekend. So I saw Spiral, the Chris Rock Saw movie in 2021. You were the only person, Dave. (laughs) Which was a critical and commercial failure. And that movie was not very good. And it tries to do like a Saw, like a Jigsaw copycat. So they're like, Mm -hmm. uh, that's how they get around the John Kramer thing. Uh, and so I was like, this franchise is probably dead for good. You know, there's no, we're never going to see another Saw movie. Enter Saw 10. This movie is one of the best Saw films ever made. Mm -hmm. It's possibly the best one since Saw 1. It was, it was so good that I almost thought like, maybe this is so good that maybe this is something that Jeff might be okay watching 
potentially. Yeah. It only took um, nearly 20 years for Saw to really, <laughs> really cash in on really, the potential of really Saw 1. kick it back into gear. Yeah. It's been almost 20 years since Saw 1. That's right. Um, so the I'm not going to tell you the whole plot because I want to save some spoilers for uh, people who want to watch the movie. But the movie opens, John Kramer is freaking alive, guys. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Like, how is this happening? And so it, it's actually uh, takes place, you know, decades ago when John Kramer still had brain cancer. And mm. he hires like some a doctor to do like a big experimental treatment on him, and uh, so I'm going to give away the premise of Saw Ten, which is the treatment appears to work. And so the whole time I'm watching this, guys, my mind is blown. I'm like, oh uh-huh. my god, are we doing like a hard reboot? Like, you know how like many films, like uh, Halloween is an example, like mm-hmm. where they kind of erased all the movies that happened after Halloween one or two, and they're like, we're we're starting fresh. I'm like, are we doing a hard reboot? where John Kramer, the jigsaw killer, actually survives and like goes on to kill again and Saw 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, and 9 never happened? The whole time I'm watching, I'm like, is this what's going on right now? Because I'm like, this would be mm-hmm. amazing. Well, uh, turns out, no. <laughs> the people that cured him were grifters. <laughs> and they pretended to save him from his brain cancer. Oh. And so then he's like, well, fuck these people. I'm going to like, that means? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, they must to, be punished. It's time to put all these people into a game, motherfuckers. <laughs> um, and that's exactly what he does. And so then you watch yeah. the gameplay and there's a lot of, you know, fun surprises. In the I, game d- I do stuff. like how the Saw series is basically the same premise as Breaking Bad, right? Like normal guy pushed his limits because of our healthcare system. Absolutely. Just like Absolutely. has to retaliate because it's fucked up. A lot of Breaking Bad vibes. I'm not joking. Yeah. A lot of Breaking Bad vibes in Saw 10. Um, but... I had a great time with this movie. It is if you've ever even been remotely interested in Saw films, Saw Ten is like a an exemplar of the franchise. It's really well done, uh, and it 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 goes back to the roots of what made the franchise great, which is terrible people and horrifying traps mm. delivered by John Kramer with hor- with like ominous narration. And also, guys, it actually takes time to build the emotional stakes. 40 minutes pass until there's the first real trap in this movie. That's right? pretty good. That's a sign of growth. Right. It's like, hey, we're going to yeah. actually get, let you get to know some of these characters. And, and it's like, wow, this is like a good execution of the concept. I got to recommend it if you're into horror films or the Saw movies. Saw 10. It's out in theaters right now. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I appreciate it. But yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward um, to it. I want to see it. Going yeah. back to basics. This going is something more basics. franchises can learn from. Is like, go back to what made it work in the first place and set it before the main the best yeah. characters died. You know, I mean, like we, we will we will talk about that later, going back to basics. So yeah. Yeah. Indeed. All right. <laughs> so that's Saw 10 out in theaters right now. It's one thing I've been watching. Devendra Hardware hit us up with something you've been watching. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's spooky month, right? We're seeing all the horror movies. So I saw When Evil Lurks, which is an Argentinian horror movie that's been getting a lot of like rave reviews. It's directed by uh, Demian Rugna. And it's in theaters and limited release now. It's going to be on Shutter at the end of the month. I'm not going to say too much because we literally just decided to review it next week as our featured review. So surprise, surprise. It's, uh, I think this movie is fantastic. Like, I'm going to talk more about this in the Exorcist review, but this is um, just a really interesting look at the concept of evil and, I don't know, viral evil. Uh, essentially, it's about uh, something something demonic potentially showing up in a village in Argentina. And what do you do about it? 
you know, do you do you do the selfish thing? Do you try to take care of it? Do you try to heal it? Do you try to do something to help the world? It is about two brothers going on this journey after finding something demonic. And I think it is a harrowing film. It's incredibly well made. Um, it's just, it is quite the journey. So I am, I'm very happy that we are reviewing this because I think that's going to be a great conversation. Uh, but I do want to see pray for Jeff Kanata folks, because <laughs> that's going to be a fun review. We got but a, I, I worry uh, about you, Jeff. I got a text from Chris from the streaming things podcast, recommending this film to us. And, uh, he said he, he actually was able to predict what our responses will be. <laughs> Uh, he says that I will think it's one of the great things ever made. Devinder will think it's good as well, and that it will ruin Jeff's life. Is oh, is what that's really the life point life. of the show is to ruin Jeff's life. I, right? I got that. I got that text right. Yeah, like, that was like a few days ago. And then I was talking to Devinder in our pre-show segment, and I was like, "Hey, I think we should review When Evil Lurks next week." And Devinder said, "That's a great idea, but it's going to ruin Jeff." And I was like, wow, that's two, like, that, then we're definitely doing it. That's two separate people. That sounds like good listening. That, yeah. But, you know, on the one hand, so first of all, we, we had to give up a lot to get Jeff to review, like a, a shockingly high amount to get Jeff to review when evil lurks next week. But we're happy for his sacrifice. And also, Jeff, aren't you gratified that um, people feel like they know you so well, they can yeah, predict yeah. when something's going to ruin your life, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I appreciate the heads up on that <laughs> we we all we are all very aware i have a, like a jeff alarm you know and i know when something is gonna uh, alarm jeff basically so yeah 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 we, th we, this does we, hit that we watch it's like that thing you were talking about that meter you're talking about in the uh mm -hmm. in the pre-show in the uh film news segment um but yes uh when evil lurks will be on shutter uh later this month and it's gonna be our main review for next week uh coming in hot go see it um, in theaters folks like it, it, it is wild it is a wild inventive when we say original, I don't mean original like the creator. I mean wow. original. I mean stuff I've never seen before, stuff that will leave me, you know, thinking and feeling the creepy crawlies for months. So, yeah. All right. Looking forward to it. And uh, just, you know, have this episode as a baseline to see mm -hmm. how I'll never be the same after it. Pray for Mojo. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's when evil lurks out in theaters right now. That uh, you know, uh, it's 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 counter programming to the Taylor Swift Eras tour, which is going to completely annihilate the box office next weekend. So. Which is what I wanted to review, mm -hmm. but no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jeff Kanata, what's one thing you've been watching this week? Well, keeping with spooky season, I also watched a spooky movie. That's also a comedy, so not really that spooky. I think there should be more horror comedies. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a great, it's a great combo. I love yeah. a horror comedy. I love a movie that can be a little creepy, and then la you're laughing, and you just you know you uh, um, you know get rid of the tension. What's the word I was looking for? Uh, dispel the tension. Anyway, diffuse, diffuse the tension is what I meant. Anyway, um, I was recommended a movie that is on that just hit Paramount Plus, I believe. It's called Totally Killer. Oh yeah. This is easily summed up because it is what if Scream was mixed with Back to the Future. And like Happy Death Prime, Day. Prime video, by the way, Jeff. Yeah. Prime video. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, it says Prime. It's, it's on Prime the poster. Video. It's on the poster. It's on yeah. the poster. Okay, fair enough. Um, 
Jeff still does not believe us. I have a false I'm, memory of. I'm not even really? using memory, yeah. Jeff. I'm using my sight right now. <laughs> yeah, but which one of us is more me on a with a vague recollection, or you looking at hard data? I think uh, that's you know what, what did I say about uh, anyway? Um, okay, so totally killer is, I think. Good fun. Is it great? No. Is it worth your time this spoopy season if you want to watch a a kind of a fun, lighthearted, but also, you know, in the vein of spookiness and and Halloween stuff? It's a it's a it's a slasher movie that has some slashing, but not really. It it has much more laughs and fun. And it really is Scream Meets Back to the Future. In fact, mm-hmm. I I am hard pressed to come up with another movie that is in dialogue. Happy Happy Death Day, I hear, keeps being brought up around this. Oh, I love Happy Death Day. We we reviewed that and I enjoyed that very much. But I don't think, like I was saying, I would be hard pressed to think of another movie Mm -hmm. that is in dialogue with a a, a film that everyone knows more than this movie. It, it, It is specifically in dialogue with Back to the Future. Like it is, they named, it is a wild thing. So the, I am going to mention some very specific plot things of Totally Killer. If you do not want to hear that, skip ahead. I I will not spoil any of the end of the movie or anything like that, but I will mention some very specific things that happen. And and Jeff, overall, it sounds like you have a a mild recommend for this movie. Mild recommend. I think that's an accurate statement. Mild recommend. Certainly if you're looking for a, a fun thing to turn on in this this season of you know spooky fun, this will fit the bill. Do I think it is as good as Happy Death Day? I do not. Do I think it's like one of those? Oh, it's so clever and novel. Don't miss it. Things I do not. But I think it's 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 a fun. It's worth watching, especially if you want to have a group of people watching a a fun you know Halloween type film. Okay, so here's the uh, this you know the the breakdown that's a little more specific, but again, not spoilery. Um, there, you know, this is a movie about a uh, serial killer and then a a person who goes into a time machine and goes back to when the original the serial killer who reemerges, we go back in time to 1987 when the serial killer originally murdered some kids in a high school. And because she, this main character is going back to 1987 which is after Back to the Future has been released and is a hit. She is able to literally walk up to people in that world, in, in, the, in the movie, and be like, have you seen Back to the Future? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is what I do every day yeah. in real life. Yes, but not because you're time traveling, just because you're very <laughs> interested in whether people have seen that movie. Absolutely. Uh, but, but it's an interesting shorthand for her to convey the predicament she's in. She walks up to people in 1987, being from 2023, she walks up to people in 1987 and says, have you seen Back to the Future? And all of them go, yeah, obviously, everybody has. And she's like, I am in that. I am doing that right now. Mm -hmm. The movie is in constant dialogue (laughs) Mm -hmm. with Back to the Future, comparing itself to Back to the Future. And honestly, I will say one more thing that is a specific plot point of the movie. So again, keep fast forwarding if you don't want to hear it. We all know that in Back to the Future, Marty McFly's dad is a nerd, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's a nerd. 
this movie, I think, interestingly, does the exact opposite. Our main character goes back to 1987 and discovers her parents are the opposite of nerds. And I, I think it is specifically it's specifically sending up Back to the Future. It is specifically kind of in dialogue with that movie going, look, what if it what if we've discovered the opposite of Back to the Future? Mm-hmm. And I think that is pretty clever and kind of works. Um the the thing that is that I want you guys to help me with here. That is, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I have seen Back to the Future more times than I can count. And yet, I still find myself unable to answer the following, which is, I do not think that the thrust of the movie's opinion about the 1950s, where uh, Marty McFly lands, is hey, isn't it weird how people were in the 1950s? It feels no, to not me- really. What? Yeah. No, not really. Yeah, it feels to me like, like Marty loving. McFly lands and everybody mm-hmm. comments on how weird Marty is. Yes. You're wearing yes. the vest. Are you, uh, are, you, are you on a boat? Are you from a boat? Your life vest. Like they're making fun of the 80s. They're not making fun of the 50s. It feels like Back to the Future was made by people who were aware that most of the audience remembers the 50s very well. Absolutely. It wasn't made for young kids like me at the time who didn't remember the 50s it, and, and going, oh, wasn't it weird how your parents were in the 50s? Totally. I also think, it, it, Jeff, it may be because that that may just be like the realistic situation of like where the culture is, right? Like the difference between somebody from the 80s and the 50s is a vast, vast gulf. The difference between being, you know, in the 80s and in the 2020s, you know, right now, like you send somebody back now to the 80s, totally fine. They fit right in. No, I, I, I'm saying th- this is the opposite of that. Okay. Like that, okay. that totally killer, their perspective is the 80s are bizarre and backward and broken. They the, are. The, yes. Yeah. Well, that may, be, that may be true or not true. Yes. That's not my point. My point is that's not how, Back to the Future was like the kid from the present is going back to a time. Yes, yes, yes. W- that we all assume was relatively normal, but he doesn't understand it. But this movie is like, we coming back and every single thing our main character is experiencing is like, oh my God, people actually behaved like this? It, it is from the perspective, it is made for young people mm-hmm. and of the perspective that the 80s were bizarre and I, yeah, wrong. Yeah. I think that is actually a fitting way to do this cultural, like this, this flip, this homage to back to the future, right? Because the cultural mores now are just so different where, yeah, you send somebody back, they're going to like, oh man, everything's very racist and very sexist and very like weird. Like uh, our our culture is like very backwards in the eighties, but to the outside observer, you just look like another hipster. If you come to the 2020s, you know, if you're an, a 1980s person. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the movie is constantly saying, weren't we racist? Weren't we sexist? Mm-hmm. Weren't we, weren't we, where did we actually do that? The movie is constantly criticizing the eighties, which is fine, but it, it just struck me as something. The original back to the future could have done a little more, you know, of the fifties, but you know, I, I I'm going to say that, I don't know that I feel 100% like you guys do about Back to the Future's views on the 50s. Um, I do think that there are times during which Back to the Future gawks at the 50s. 
But I agree with you that that's mm-hmm. not the general sense from it, right? Like, I mean, that that was a movie where Marty McFly introduced uh, rock and roll to you, you know. Right, exactly. It's, yeah. There's this kind of like, oh, they're you know, it's quaint. They're, they're, here are the adjectives I would use, right, to describe the 50s in Back to the Future. is like quaint and nice and weird and backwards. Yes. Like it's a combination yeah. of all those things, I think. Um, it's not just like, oh, it's it's fine. You know, I think there's... There are there are moments where it's like, oh, that was weird back then. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just don't think it, it's not critical. It's not critical. Yeah, and I yeah. think it's interesting that this movie feels it has to be critical of that time. And I it, mean, one of the biggest uh, hits of the '80s was uh, Revenge of the Nerds. No, that movie me, is, I lived through it, man. Yeah, <laughs> but that movie is unwatchable now. So I don't. Yeah, if you're setting something that is just like sending you back to the '80s, you can't help but like be like, oh man, this is all messed up. Like to, or, or, to actually, or Jeff, Jeff, yeah. do you have like what? What is your issue with the fact that it critiques the eighties? I guess is the question, right? No issue. I'm just, uh-huh. I just think it's interesting. Yeah, that this movie feels the need to reassert that we've progressed and that you know that that mm-hmm. we we have to look judgingly. It's important for us to understand, like, oh my gosh, the jokes. Are, maybe I'll say it a better way. Mm-hmm attempt to um it feels to me like the jokes in back to the future about displaced time you know anachronisms uh are from the perspective of character are from the perspective of individual people in that world behaving mm-hmm. strangely and, but again you can correct me if i'm wrong but in totally killer it is culture it is our mm-hmm. culture th- these individual people are secondary. The culture itself was backwards. Right. And, and I think it's a really interesting thing that like we have to signal to the audience that we're not okay with how the world used to be. Um, I don't know if it's like you have to. It's more like, I, I think like as a storyteller, I think that that is the interesting perspective to take if you're trying to it? do this thing. <laughs> I think I it's do. redundant. I think the I interesting. Don't, I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's necessarily. I, I see what you're trying to say, Jeff. Like you're trying to say, like, should we have? Should these criticisms be out loud so much? Well, I'm is trying that... to. Say, I'm. What I'm saying is, I. I think the exact opposite of what you said, which is, from a storytelling perspective, I think it's more interesting to have it be about character and not about culture. I think. It, I think it's. Uh, anyway, it's not a huge criticism of the movie. I. I, I, I do want to say I want to see this movie, Jeff, because it's also it's directed by Nanachka Khan, who was the showrunner in Fresh Off the Boat and has done a lot of great TV work. So I'm I've been interested in this for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, I think it's fun. Um. I and again, I'm coming off as being more critical. I think just by pushing back against what you you're saying, but I I, I, j- I just thought it was an interesting thing to note, uh, specifically mm-hmm. because as I said. It's hard for you to watch, for anybody to watch this movie without Back to the Future as a constant background piece, right? It, mm-hmm, it is mm-hmm. it is a movie that is in dialogue with Back to the Future. It is constantly referencing it, constantly comparing itself to it. And so I found myself doing that on a number of levels. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's funny, it's fun, it's cute. Um, it, it does, it does a, a number of things that are you know, shortcuts and kind of, uh, you know, lazy in my opinion, you know, the, the, the concept of time travel is just sort of, eh, we, we have it. It's not a big deal. <laughs> so that, you know, it's not a home run for me, this movie, I think it could have been more clever, but 
what it does well, it I think it does very well. And uh, I enjoyed watching Totally Killer. Yeah, that's Totally Killer on Prime Video. And it's one of the things Jeff Kanata has been watching this week. Let's take another break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more right after this. All right. I want to talk about a movie I watched called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Again. Now, I know you are asking yourself, <laughs> wait a second, David. Didn't you just talk about the 1974 horror classic a couple weeks, uh, couple weeks ago on the podcast? Uh, that is correct. But because, <laughs> I mean, guys, I- I'm a simple man yeah, with uh, simple pleasures, you know, and... Uh, Jeff, I mean, come on. Tell me if you agree with this. What, what wasn't life simpler back in the day when, if you're going to make a sequel, you would put a number at the end of it? You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, yeah, you, you know, you made for a clarity part- and differentiation's sake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, things all yeah. went to hell when they called Saw Seven Saw 3D instead <laughs> of Saw Seven. Well, what if you, know? you make too many sequels and everything just gets messy? Which That's also right. happened to Texas Chainsaw. That's so, correct. Then they yeah. called Saw Eight Jigsaw. Who's gonna know? Who's gonna know what that is talking about? You know what I'm saying? The the true the true believers know. You put Jigsaw <laughs> on a movie title on a movie poster, like oh oh yeah, we're back at Saw World. Yeah. So there were multiple sequels to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, there was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three, The Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Then there was a remake in 2003 called yeah. the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then in 2022, there was a Netflix exclusive film <laughs> called Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No, the, I guess. Just Texas uh-huh. Chainsaw Massacre. Like Fast and Furious. Just Fast and Furious. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, they should have just called it Texas Chainsaw. No, the or Massacre. Tex- uh, but- Texaw. Let's just keep going. Let's keep going <laughs> lower. This movie Chainsaker. <laughs> this movie this movie is directed by David Blue Garcia from a story by Feta Alvarez and Rodo Saegas, who um oh. those are the guys who did the new Evil Dead, which I thought now was you actually, have my interest. Yes. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this movie was critically very negatively re- reviewed. And the reason is I think it falls into the same category as like a bunch of these horror remakes that we've seen over the course of the last couple decades. So like, um, remember when there was like a new nightmare on Elm street with, um, what's his name? Uh, Jackie, Jackie Earl Haley, right. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. He, they did a nightmare on Elm that street. Movie never happened, but yes, it, yeah, I remember. I, yeah. I, I know what happened. Cause I'm pretty sure we reviewed we it reviewed on this it. podcast yes, and yes. I interviewed the director for slash film <laughs> at the time. Samuel bear, uh-huh. Uh, did a Nightmare on Elm Street in t- 2010, you know? And you know, a lot of these Platinum Dunes things, like they did like, um, there was a new Friday the 13th and all these things. This is kind of similar to that in the sense that it is a version of that story, but much darker and much grittier um, and much meaner, you know? But it is also a direct sequel. So it is kind of, Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> is to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as the exorcist believer is to the exorcist. You know what I'm saying? Like it's got, it's like a direct sequel. It takes place 50 years after the first one. And also it brings back the, you know, extremely minor spoiler for our review, but it brings back a uh, beloved female lead character from the first film and has absolutely no idea what to do with that person. Um, so it's very similar in many ways to The Exorcist Believer, which is why I thought it was worth bringing up today. It also stars Elsie Fisher, by the way, who who is the main character in 8th grade. She must mm-hmm, be protected mm-hmm. at all costs. Uh, Keep her safe, yes. 
here's what I'm going to say about into a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Then (laughs) here's what I'm going to say about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022 film on Netflix right now is there are some decent scares. There are some decent moments of really effective horror filmmaking. But you know what I realized watching this and why I think people don't like these kinds of movies, like why it's so critically you know looked down upon, is when you watch a movie like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre or uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street, those movies are freaking weird. Do you know what I mean? Like and unique and, and original. Unique. It's like oh, a guy yeah. wears a fucking person's face on his face and storms around with a chainsaw. They're, or, they're memorable you know, because we had never seen anything exactly. Like that. Or like guy invades your dreams a with a knife glove. You know, like <laughs> like the, they're just like weird bizarre stories that have a lot of character and what these new remakes do like Friday the 13th or, you know, nightmare on Elm street, or in this case, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022 version is they kind of suck a lot of the personality. We're just going to remix, remix what you know, we're just going to remix and it's going to be darker and grittier and so on. And that's what this is. It's basically like a, Mm -hmm. a darker, meaner version of what this is. And also by the way, Leatherface is kind of a cold blooded killer in this movie as opposed to the original. Yes, he was a killer, but he kind of, it kind of felt like he couldn't help himself. You know what I'm saying? He's a little inscrutable, a little like like, there's some, what his motivations are in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's much more clear in this one. So we will certainly talk about this concept. Yeah. 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 The exorcist review. So anyway, but Dave, what a, what a mood for you this week, huh? You get, you get saw X, you got the new exorcist, (laughs) you get to another Texas Chainsaw. I know I'm, I'm, I'm living the life of Riley here. Um, it's amazing. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022 version, some decent scares. I think it's probably a little bit more negatively reviewed than it should be. Uh, because I think there are some, again, like really effective horror filmmaking mm-hmm. moments in this movie. I, I do kind of wish like... Um, but I also understand the, why everyone hates it. That's yeah. all I was going to say. So I wish it was like a video game, right? Where this movie is only unlocked when you see the first one. When you see the one, <laughs> the one that like changed the world through sheer terror, you know? Absolutely. Well, I think the movie would be actually hard to comprehend without seeing the first one. Um, That's true. Because it's it's like a direct sequel. They also like yeah. let the originals do a lot of heavy lifting. So yes, yes absolutely, yes. absolutely, absolutely. This is how our culture is working, just like yeah. the movie Jeff talked about. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is available right now on Netflix. Devinder Hardwar, what have you been watching this week? Sure, I have been reading, not watching, and I want to shout this out: a masterpiece in disarray. David Lynch's Dune and Oral History. That's the full title. This is the oh, book yeah. by uh, uh, guest Max Avery, who I know had a contentious run here with the new <laughs> Evil Dead movie. Um, it's okay to have different opinions, folks. Uh, this, I have read many an oral history, right? I, I read them on blogs, right? I, I, read, the, I read them on um, Where Cracked and all the, all the other like pop culture sites. But uh, I've never Devendra read it. loves in, oral. He's an oral fanatic. Oral <laughs> and the history, history of oral. oral yeah. Like just totally. Um I've never read it in book form. And I have to say, it's really compelling. Like, I, I think Max did a great job here. And if you are vaguely interested in David Lynch's Dune, this is just like a gold mine of information. Like, it's he interviewed tons of people. He got to interview Lynch himself. Um, and I don't, like, this is not a movie I think about often. But I sat down and I read, like, I ended up reading like a couple hundred pages of this book. Because it was just so interesting what was happening behind the scenes and how Max described everything. So if you're into Dune, if you're just into a good a good bit of oral history, um, then, <laughs> then I think this book 
is worth checking out. And also, uh, if you are interested, I think it's worth getting the hardcover. The hardcover is, this is one of the most like beautiful books I've ever seen because he's using like a red, it's like a red foil around the outer bits of the pages. And when you're reading this book, it's like it's glowing in your hand. Like That's light cool. reflects off of the book and it's just like a holy object, which I think is very fitting. Jeff, you got to look view, into this for uh best summed up. You're a little summed up. Like, Seriously, you know, I got to make some yeah. calls. Check yeah, it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this book is really good and I think it's worth checking out. And, you know, I love Max. He's one of my uh, oldest friends, one of my first friends in New York. And I'm so happy to see that he got this thing out there. It exists and it's beautiful. In an Check alternate out. universe. Yeah. In an alternate universe, Dune 2 is going to come out next month. You know? Yeah, but <laughs> wow. that's true. Uh, not that that would have been good timing this for this universe. book. Indeed, yeah. indeed. Dave, right, I'm, well, I'm curious if you would be into this. I know you you uh, will, you know, you'll handle some oral, but you prefer something a little more penetrating, right? You, mm. Would you like full penetration in your... <laughs> you keep well, ruining it, Jeff. I'm a big fan of... <laughs> keep taking big... it too far. Yeah, Jeff, Jesus. Jeez. <laughs> Their kid's listening to what this. What the hell, man? Not cool. Not cool. Uh... You like um, uh, an, an analysis, right? <laughs> no, you don't? I, maybe my understanding of what you enjoy in your personal time is different than what... Mm -hmm. That's a masterpiece in disarray. David Lynch is doing an oral history. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching this week? I just wanted to mention uh, the season finale of Only Murders in the Building, a show I absolutely adore. Uh, and uh, I this is season... Three? Season three. Season three. And you can it's feel it. It's yeah. already been renewed for season four. Yeah, it has. And I got to ask the question, Jeff. At what point do you just move out of the building? Do you know? <laughs> if, uh... Listen, they, if you get an apartment They talk about this very building? thing in the show, David. They, they, they re reference the fact yeah. that there are too many murders in this building. There are too Absolutely. many murders. But also, um, let me tell you guys, you get a prime piece of like Upper West Side uh, gorgeous <laughs> apartment. You're not leaving. That's a Rosemary's baby was not like too far, you know, like that was yeah. set in like a building very similar to that. You don't leave. What's a bit of demonic possession? <laughs> That's a beautiful apartment. You're right by Central Park. You don't leave. Yeah, come on. Um, but I, I, I love this show, show uh, mm -hmm. uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short. And Steve Martin has already said this is his last thing. He's not doing anything after this. Like this is his retirement swan song for performance. And he's a, both of those guys are national treasures. I think Martin Short, is one of the most brilliant performers mm -hmm. of all time. And same, Martin, Steve Martin is a freaking polymath. He's a, he's a genius on multiple levels. And uh, just seeing the two of them having a great time, goofing off and make, uh, doing this very fun show. And this season, we got to have Meryl Streep and Paul Rudd join the, the fun. Uh, and, um, oh, uh, an old SCTV actress. What's her name? Um, anyway, it, just... A delight. It's a delight. I love it. I love the fact that every season has ended with the seed of the next the setup season. setup for the next season. Yeah. It's so great. And it's really a juicy ending this time of what, what season four is likely to be. I I can't believe it. And the, the, the template for each episode is brilliant. I don't know mm -hmm. how they do it where each episode gives you the reasons why a character in the show should be the killer. We, we each episode is like this person definitely did it. Yeah. And then and they're we, all like narrated by that character. In voice not always by that character, but yeah, they're by yeah. a character. And oftentimes you'll get, mm -hmm. you know, the case for why one of the characters is incriminated as being completely, definitely this was the killer. And then you find out, well, no, that's not actually the case. And it, you know, they always manage to be a little surprising and a little fun. And it's a great, 
you know, great goofy murder mystery with some, you know, silly fun wrapped in it. I just, it's, whenever I sit down to watch an episode of Only Murders in the Building, I am mm-hmm. guaranteed to have a great time for half an hour. And you know, you know, we're in good hands yeah. with the show, you know, like there, there is confidence to it. Um, I do, it sounds say, like you're a little less hot on season three, right? I think season three, I, you know, listen, I mainlined the show and I love the first two seasons. I think this season shows that maybe a bit of the formula is starting to get a little shaky. Like um, there are entire episodes of the season where, which I think don't really even need to be here, but it's still a good, like, it's a good time. It's a good hangout show. And I still enjoy it for that reason, but I'm hoping that this idea doesn't get run into the ground because like this, uh, the success of this show, I feel like I, I've seen this happen to so many showrunners and creators. Like you, you made this beautiful thing. Now do it again and again and again. And after a certain point, it gets kind of sad, right? Like it happened to true detective in season two. It just got real sad, real fast. I hope that doesn't happen to the show. I hope they have some time to like do something fresh with season four, but yeah, it's still good. And y'all should still be watching it. You know, that's only murders in the building season three. It's available right now on Hulu. A couple final things to mention in what we've been watching this week. I had a chance to check out Ira Sachs new movie passages. Have you guys heard about this? Mm -hmm. Um, yep. This movie is streaming right now on Mubi. You can also buy it on video on demand. And I think this movie is quite good. It's basically a story about um, the the main character is bisexual uh, and he is in a uh, relationship with uh, his name is Tomas. He's in a relationship with Martin, a character played by Ben Wishaw and uh, a character named Agath enters his life. Her she, he, She's played by Adele Exarchopoulos. And whenever uh, Adele Exarchopoulos appears, you just know. Shit's about to get wild. Yes. She's going to disrupt everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, incredible actor. And uh, yeah, the, the, you know, the movie documents what happens in the relationship uh, or in, you know, each respective relationship as things progress. Uh, and it's really messy and uncomfortable. And I think it really captures a lot of, the ambiguities that are, that are inherent in modern romance, the performances are naturalistic. Uh, the setting, which it takes place in Paris. It feels like it's, you know, it feels like of that time and place. And, um, I just think it's a very nice, naturalistic, slow burn movie that is also really uncomfortable to watch because mm. you, you have, uh, a lot of graphic sex in this movie and also beautiful people making just, absolutely terrible decisions you know throughout the course of this film so uh if that is something that you are interested in then i think you're gonna have a great time watching passages on movie uh and also available on video on demand so yeah i I think it's uh it's very good it's very good um but you know it's I haven't loved all of Iris Sachs's movies. I don't know if you guys have seen Iris Sachs's other films by any chance. Um, I think I've seen one of them at least. He yeah. made a movie with John Lithgow and Alfred uh, Molina called Love is Strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I saw that. You, or I saw yeah. part of it. Yeah. That's the, I, they're you know, like, they're lovers, right? Yeah. They're love. Yeah. They're like a couple. And there's a movie that came out in 2016 called Little Men. You know, I saw Love is Strange and I wanted to love it. And I, you know, it, it didn't really make much of an impression on me. Um, Jeff, do you remember any feelings about that movie? I, you know, I don't remember loving it either. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I remember watching it for their performances because I love those two actors. Yeah, those two actors are co- great. As a couple, I just thought was 
interesting yeah this movie i think passages has a much more propulsive energy to it in my opinion still a lot of you know just slow scenes of characters talking and conversations playing out but uh yeah there is like more of a plot in this movie and it is uh, a more intense character study i feel so i think it's uh it's really strong It, it, it ended up surprising me how emotionally invested I was in it, in it by the end. I was watching it. And I was kind of like getting a little restless watching it on movie at home. And then uh, by the end, I was really like into what was happening. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. I thought it was uh, really, really fascinating. Uh, not a movie to watch with family or friends because uh, I think it will get uncomfortable because uh, there's a lot of graphic stuff in the movie. But, uh, you know, I don't know what kind of friends you keep. So who knows? Anyway, that's Passages. It's available right now on Mubi. Jeff, I think you have one last thing to hit us up. Yeah, I just wanted to mention this because I brought it up when my family and I first started watching it and we just finished uh, the the final episode. We we savored it like a fine wine, uh, using it as a reward for the kids at night if they'd been good all during the day. We would watch another episode of Mech Cadets, uh, which is a Netflix original um, animated series uh, based on the Greg Pak uh, comic book, Boom comic book. and, ah, uh, man, what a fantastic ride it was. I mean, this is uh, the show. It's a kid's show uh, about a group of mech cadets, about a group of kids that uh, are in a program to defend the Earth against these alien invaders called the Sharg that are these giant sort of, uh, you know, it's almost like whales in the sky or like crab-like uh, beings that are attacking Earth. And we have uh, made contact with a, an alien race of robots that let you pilot them if, if you make a connection with them. And the bunch of kids that can pilot these giant mechs against the Shargs. Uh, very, very, very good show. I love the animation style. It's very reminiscent of uh, Thunderbirds, the old puppet, anima- uh, puppet uh, show for kids. Uh, like marionette look to it. Or like... Um, uh, Team America World Police, you know, but this is done with CG, but it's gorgeous. The a- action is awesome. And my goodness, by the end of the this series, I hope, 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 hope there is a second season because it definitely leads, leads off with some interesting hooks for a second season. Um, but by the end, it, you know, it really is a very um, emotionally mature, sophisticated show for kids like it it puts mm-hmm. kids ask them some interesting questions and makes them think about things we have really great representation you know there's a there's a kid who is missing a leg who is one of the main characters there's it, it's 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 really a lovely lovely show very well written i i just was completely impressed with it and i wanted to bring it up again because we've just finished the first season and i hope um more parents and kids watch it together as we did i enjoyed it just as much as my kids did and it, you know, it's action-packed. It's fun. It very much, I think, uh, stands shoulder to shoulder with something like uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender as being a, a equally entertaining show for young people and and older people as well. So cool. check out I'm, Mech I'm, Cadets on Netflix. I'm looking forward to this, Jeff. Like, especially, I love it when uh, the aliens are also robots. I love that combo, <laughs> right? That that is uh, mm. just straight I mean, uh, transformer stuff in my veins, please. Yeah, yes. it's a little, uh, you know, it, it begs those questions that you often mm-hmm. have of like, why do they need a pilot if they're autonomous yes, robots? Yes. But okay, <laughs> we did get a message from uh, someone named Meta, who wrote into slashfilmcastajima.com. Uh, I'm the VP of development at Boom Studios and co-executive producer of Mech Cadets. 
I wanted to reach out and say thank you for the kind words and positive review of our show in your recent episode. We love to hear that the show, show is resonating and something both kids and adults can enjoy, which has always been our goal, end quote. So, well, uh, that's a, if you're listening, please, season two, please, please, <laughs> yeah. please. Uh, all the way from Denmark. Somebody yes. flagged it for, for Meta. So um, anyway, that's Met Cadets. It's available right now on Netflix. Let's take one last break for a sponsor. We'll be back with uh, our review of The Exorcist right after this. All right, guys. Before we get to our review, let's get to weekly plugs. Weekly plugs, a part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. Loki season two has premiered on Disney+. Plus. Uh, and I just want to plug a decoding TV episode I recorded with Patrick Klepek, uh, talking about the show. Uh, I've seen the first episode, going to watch the second one this week. I'll probably talk a little bit more about it at some point here on the film cast, but, uh, so far I'm really digging it. And I feel like, uh, they have learned some lessons from season one and hoping that season two will be more character driven, less twist based. We'll see. But, the one thing that is worth noting is that Academy Award winner Kihue Kwan is in season two of Loki, and Love he it. is an absolute delight. He's great in the show. Um, so check out my conversation about it with Patrick Klepek over at Decoding TV. That's at podcast.decodingtv.com. Devinder Hardwar, your weekly plug. Yeah, I spent the last week reviewing the MetaQuest 3 VR headset, and I know this is uh, close to your heart, Jeff. and. Mm -hmm. My review is up on Engadget, and I love this thing. I think it is a much uh, an improved VR headset over the Quest 2. It has mixed re mixed reality, so you can like see a full-color view of the world around you. And honestly, that helped me stay in VR stuff longer because it's not like I'm just trapped in a VR you know prison with this thing on my head. So I think it's really good, um, but the Quest 2 is still a really good deal, too. That thing is still $299. Anyway, check out my review in Engadget, and there's a video review as well. You can see a bit of my family room in there, too. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug? Well, I wanted to mention Best Summed Up again, the Limerick quiz book that is still available for pre-order up at unbound.com, unbound.com. Uh, as of this recording, we're at 170% funded, which is amazing. Thank you all for that. So this is going to be a book, but this is the best way to, to pre-order it. You can get signed editions from me, you can get uh, bonus cool stuff perks because this is the crowdfunding portion of the campaign. Uh, and, uh, you know, just because we're funded doesn't mean uh, you, you need to, you have to stop. You know, why wait? Maybe, uh, maybe you want a copy or two for friends. It should be a lot of fun. It's going to be collected um, limericks that I've done on the show and some new, fresh, interesting stuff too. Um, so I'm, I'm really delighted that this is going to happen. I'm in debt to all of the listeners for making it happen. Uh, and uh, you can still get a pre-order at unbound.com right there on the main page, uh, or you can go uh, slash books slash best summed up with a dash in between each word. All right. And uh, if you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash film podcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive after darks. Uh, we just reviewed William Friedkin's The Exorcist last week. I thought it was a very powerful discussion. I would recommend you check it out. We never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes them financial hardship. You can always support us for free. Share our reels over on Instagram, instagram.com slash thefilmcastpod. Leave a star rating for us on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review for us. It really does help wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks to everyone who makes this podcast run every single week. We are really appreciative. 
All right, folks, let's get to our review of The Exorcist Believer. Good day. Hey, be home by dinner. I love you. Good morning, Mr. Fielding. Good morning, Catherine. And here are your daughters, Angela and Catherine, about seven hours ago, and that's the last information we have. Catherine! Angela! If you can hear this, we love you. Please come home. Hey. Hey, you found her? What are you and Catherine doing out there in those woods? You were just walking and walking. That's all I remember. Angela, can you tell your dad how long you were gone? A few hours. Baby, you've been gone three days. Welcome to the Filmcast's review of The Exorcist Believer, the new film by David Gordon Green. I'm going to read the plot summary from the internet, quote, When his daughter Angela and her friend Catherine show signs of demonic possession, it unleashes a chain of events that forces single father Victor Fielding to confront the nadir of evil. Terrified and desperate, he seeks out Chris McNeil, the only person alive who has witnessed anything like it before, end quote. The nadir of evil, eh? This is, of course, a direct sequel to William Friedkin's The Exorcist. And uh, watching that movie for the recent film cast After Dark really got me, first of all, admiring of that film, right? Like, what an, what a picture. What, mm-hmm. One of the greatest movies of all time. And it got me really excited to see what David Gordon Green, an, a director who has very frequently shown himself to be talented, particularly in the horror genre, what he would be able to do with this material. So, Divinior Hardware. Do you feel like The Exorcist Believer is a worthy follow-up to William Friedkin's The Exorcist? You know, that's a tough question because I think um, I think this is like three quarters of a great movie. And it kind of does the thing that we're talking about, right? Like being a direct sequel, it can't help but pay homage and it honestly just repeat some bits from the first one, like starting in a foreign country, in an exotic country. Um, a lot of the beats are repeated. And I think... What this movie does, it does capture another element of fear for parents, which is what if your kid disappears? You know, whereas that first movie was very much about like something's happening to my child and I don't know what's happening and I'm like totally helpless. Um, you know, I have to leave it up to medical experts and they're failing me. This is another aspect of like anxiety that I think every parent is just always dealing with. So I do think it, it deserves credit for like tapping into that idea. Um, I like all these new characters. I like the setup of this thing, but we get to the end and it is just kind of a weird mess that we'll talk about in spoilers. Like I do think David Gordon Green deserves a little credit. Like there is a humanist side, I think to his horror and maybe to his worldview or the way they've been building up this movie and also his Halloween trilogy, which I think um, an element of the Halloween trilogy was like um, the community, right? Like can be used for good. Uh, in Halloween Kills, the the second one was just all about the community kind of going crazy and being uncontrollable. And in the the last one, that was very much about the community both ostracizing somebody, but also kind of coming together. And isn't that, you know, the real Halloween was the friends we made along the way. I think there is some some praise worthiness to that, like sort of worldview being in a movie like this. I think this movie kind of just shits the bed at the end completely. So I, I really liked where things were going. It definitely creeped me out. I thought it was doing some new, interesting stuff. Um, but man, in a year when we got talk to me in a year when I just saw when evil lurks, like both original expressions of horror that also kind of delve into possession as a, as a plot point, but isn't, isn't aren't just exorcist movies. 
I think it shows like how weak this movie actually is. But it, it is, I think, even more disappointing that that first three quarters, I think, like a full, like I can pretty much clock when it gets bad. Um, but so much of it just felt so good. I thought I was in good hands until the very end. I would say the first half, honestly. I don't. I, I didn't make it. There's to three a lot quarters about the, the other bit I like. Yeah, yeah but uh, what what David Gordon Green does do well, I think, is he captures the look and feel of the original Exorcist. So, like literally, the way the B roll is shot mm-hmm. and framed is very similar to what it was like in The Exorcist. You know, the, the movie writer, starts with two dogs fighting, and it was like, is that a yeah. shot from the first movie? It's mm-hmm. just that shot of the two dogs fighting, basically. Yeah. You know, the writer and film critic Ed Whitfield. Uh, shared what William Friedkin had to say about The Exorcist Believer. Uh, He said, quote, William Friedkin once said to me, Ed, the guy who made these new Halloweens is about to make one to my movie, Uh The Exorcist. That's right. My signature film is about to be extended by the man who made Pineapple Express. I don't want to be around when that happens. But if there's a spirit world and I come back, I plan to possess David Gordon Green and make his life a living hell. End quote. Wow. So is that real? Be, be hexed upon. I don't is know. that a real quote? This, this is a commonly shared story from writer and film critic Ed Whitfield. And I will say That sounds th- apocryphal. That sounds it, too too It doesn't sound out of character for William Friedkin, I'm gonna say that. Um fair enough. But anyway. It sounds too spot on to be <laughs> it's too on the nose to be true. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts yeah. on the exorcist believer. Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about The Exorcist Believer is best summed up in the form of a limerick. It doesn't know what it's about, and the ending is such a cop-out. It won't make a list with the first Exorcist. Believer just filled me with doubt. Ooh, Ooh, nicely done, Jeff. I I feel the energy and the wordplay in that one. Love it. Good job. Love it, Jeff. I agree with everything Devendra said 100%. Actually, I I guess I I side more with Dave because- Yeah, you don't like it as much. I I do think part (laughs) of it is great. Yeah. I think think it it revs up real good. It revs up real good. The first hour is incredible, I thought. Yes. Yeah. You know the best thing about this movie is the casting. Mm -hmm. The casting is- Great. I love all these people. Leslie Odom Jr. is awesome. I love, we all love Ann Dowd. I mean, ever since I saw Mass, which, by the way, you want to see a real horror movie? Sit down and watch Mass. Sit down and watch Mass. You want to see Ann Dowd scare the bejesus out of you? Watch Mass. Um, Also, Ann Dowd and The Leftovers, which shares a lot of this, too, to be honest. uh, And Norbert Leo Butts who has quietly become one of my favorite actors. He was in, just recently in Justified, um, what should we call it? City Primeval. City Primeval, thank you. And uh, I, I first became aware of him in Bloodline. He mm. is, dude, the dude is fantastic. Always solid, always in, in these awesome, interesting character parts, often playing the guy who's morally weak, you know, can't quite do the thing. So good. I love this guy. I love he, he plays up. the guy we all know. You yes. all know yeah, yeah. that guy. Yeah. Yes. And he's very good at it. Yeah. He is he is great. He's great. I love this guy. And every time he pops up in something, I'm like, ah, I love I love these getting work. Um, so yes, the casting of this movie, fantastic. And it revs up real good. You you, you get some, it really takes its time to kind of get mm-hmm. you to interested in these people. And you are so right. 
You know what the worst part of this Exorcist movie is? What is the that? Exorcism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, yes. it comes to a grinding halt. Yes. It had one job. Yeah. It had job. one job. Honestly, it title. didn't even really have that job because the, the franchise is not called The Exorcism. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. called The Exorcist. And yeah. true. I mean, we'll get to it in spoilers, but we had a character who could be as interesting, and Dowd's character could be as interesting as the Father you know, Karras in the yeah. original. Yes. Yeah. And yet the movie just, as you said, Vindra, completely shits the bed. It is, uh, the, the word I would use for this movie, and you guys know me, I'm not looking <laughs> for being disturbed, right, <laughs> per right. se. But I, the one word I would use to, dis- to describe this movie is toothless. Mm. It is utterly toothless. It completely pulls back from being interesting. It, it approaches something really compelling and really interesting and it has does not have the guts or follow through or wherewithal to make it to actually be interesting and it's it's a wasted opportunity it's a waste of this franchise it's a waste of the talent of a lot of really fantastic actors mm-hmm. it's a bummer Le- man. leslie odom jr great in this like he's i great. totally feel him he's so yeah. good and, and then wasted dude, yeah all the people in this movie are doing stellar work mm-hmm. Even the kids are pretty yeah, good. Yeah, the kids are the kids are great too. Yeah, uh, the child actors are, are, yeah. are amazing as well. So, uh, you know, guys, it's rare, but I, I basically completely agree with you. Uh, I think that again, the first hour is I mean, I'm uh, so tense. I'm at the edge of my seat. I'm like, how is this going to fall? And I already know where it's going. It's called The Exorcist Believer. I already know. What is it, where, where we are heading in terms yeah, of the movie? Yeah, yeah. But I'm still like, how is this going to unfold? And and it introduces all these interesting characters. Like as you said, basically, there's there's two people this time, right? There's two girls this time, and uh, their parents are like very very different. And seeing how they like bounce off each other, I'm like, oh, this is these are like interesting dynamics that like kind of justify why you might remake a movie like this. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, we're trying to illustrate other components of maybe something in modern life that you wouldn't have found back when the original was made 50 years ago. Right. And so I'm so into this. I'm so into this. The first half, I'm like, this is great. Wow. Everyone's being too harsh on this movie. This movie has like a 35% run to me. Everyone's being yeah, too harsh. Yeah. I'm I like, thought people were being what rough. are people yeah. talking about? This is so good. And then it completely blows it in the second half. It is, it's rare to see a movie completely blow it like this, but I would say that, the biggest problems of the second half come down to a couple things that I'll just be vague about now. And we'll talk more in spoilers. Um, goofy stuff happens, just random stuff happening without any explanation. I don't mind or random build up. goofy stuff. The first movie, the original filled with some goofy things, but I think tonally was too, assured too goofy. Knew what it was doing too, too goofy. Yeah, too in this goofy movie. Sometimes. And yeah. then also uh, a lot of plot lines are just rushed like oh really ru- like it becomes this convergence of all this stuff that we're, yeah. we're, what, what what are we doing what it's are like, we hey, do- it loses the, it loses the thread dude it cuts yeah. to the end of like multiple subplots like real fast and it feels completely unearned and very very sloppy and therefore um in a way i mean f- leaves me feeling like this is certainly not a worthy follow-up to the original, and I'm also not sure I'm looking forward to more of these because there's supposed to be two more. Yeah, it was a it was a deal. It was like a package deal, yeah. right? So, oh yeah, boy, so, 
So there's supposed to be two additional Exorcist films. And uh, yeah, after this one, the thing is, the a lot of the direction in the movie is very, very strong. Like there's a lot of great mm-hmm. creepy moments. As I mentioned, it captures the look and feel of the original Exorcist. It is almost purely on a script level that this movie fails. Uh, and that is very unfortunate. So it's, it's sad. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen David Gordon Green's like earlier movies, even before like he started doing comedies with Danny McBride and stuff, but he'd made like just cool little independent dramas like George Washington in the early two thousands. And then, then he basically ended up being the guy for the like Danny McBride crew. Right. So then it was like pineapple express and a whole bunch. Danny McBride gets a story credit on this movie and also yeah. like was involved in the story in the Halloween movies. So it's just funny to see like what a, what a path. You know, because I yeah. do think he tried to bring some original stuff to Halloween. I think there are some original ideas here. It's just you didn't stick the landing guy. It's a shame. Agreed. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, uh, let's dive into spoilers for The Exorcist Believer starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth! Inconceivable! I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. Say what you will about the tenets of Catholicism. At least it's an ethos. I feel um, like we got to retire this phrase and this bit. But disagree. Yeah. It's so relevant for this movie. I think for um, this movie. Yeah, you retire the, on the last it, good. A, hey, one. listen, yeah. Devendra. It is yes. a perfectly cromulent phrase. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you see? Uh, th- th- so what is it? it did uh, Unitarian make this movie? Like, what is going on? What is going on here at the end of this movie? I mean, I mean what's listen. the point of it? Yeah. It, 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 okay. Bring all these things together, but then have it mean anything at it's all. It's also it's not quite so it's different, like different basically ways of viewing the Christian God, right? Right. Like you feel like no, the real opportunity here is to just basically do a priest, a rabbi, and a mom walk into a bar, right? Room, exactly. Right? And exactly. basically, like actually give us like what how different cultures are viewing it because I think that's interesting. And you know? and maybe have it be a little contentious or interesting or have sure. there be literally any any conflict for the, whatsoever yeah it's like but it's not like people of different religions have ever like really had major long-running conflict before so <laughs> there's like, one thing we can agree on is exorcism <laughs> you know demons are bad so yeah we're gonna fight <laughs> like, together. There's, dude the exorcism is dude building up to it drilling yeah. the things into the yeah. floor like yeah. fuck so yeah cool. this is gonna be rad so cool. like <laughs> it is the most com- anticlimactic boring not scary not interesting and then then we get to the one interesting thing which like choose mm-hmm. choose mm-hmm. a girl to die now i'm like okay movie okay all right that's 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 fucked up let's yeah. let's do, let's do something with that no no not going to do anything with that just going to no, well, kind of did it the person did. who chooses is the more evil one you see and that's the person that should die so it's like a, it's like Solomon cutting the baby in half type of thing. It's deal. very so much, like, you know, don't, don't bargain okay with the Whoever is okay with the baby being cut in half, they're <laughs> not the real mother. You know, like that just kind of. Just so banal, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. just like completely uninteresting. Like, And you have this kind of juicy thing. And then by the end, everybody's like, nah, I'm okay with it. It's all right. It's like, dude, come on. <laughs> you want to disturb me? Yeah. Disturb me. You don't like, what is, what are we even doing here? 
don't it's, know. it's weird because it tries for hokiness. Like I think I think it tries to be like uplifting by the end, and it yeah. just reads as hokey when it's not earned. You can't just say you got to bring people together to to fight the ultimate evil because. I mean, if I like, yeah, I love the original Exorcist, but it's also very much a Christian superhero movie, right? Like it is very much the the disciples of God can fight evil, they fight evil, and they win. That's it. And I think there are more interesting ways of exploring that if you actually bring in things beyond Christianity, you know, or if you actually do something more interesting here. It tries. I think this movie certainly tries, but also like. I, I think it's both funny that they bring in uh, Chris McNeil, Ellen Burstyn's character, and she's like, I don't know why I wasn't there, man. Blame the patriarchy, right? LOL. Um, she gets blinded and is once again not part of the exorcism. <laughs> yeah. Why Why bring it up if you're going to do it to her <laughs> again? Fair, I don't, fair I don't point. Under, like, what was the point of her character at all? Because she does nothing. We got Ellen Burstyn is what happened. Yeah, we got, got Ellen Burstyn. One of my favorite uh, social posts online that I saw was, Ellen Burstyn's like, yeah, they would back in the day, they wouldn't let me watch the exorcism because of the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And then somebody online commented, I don't know, lady, I'd be a lot more grateful to the guys that saved your daughter's life by sacrificing (laughs) theirs. They also never said, no, don't be in here. I'm pretty sure she just didn't. She just didn't go in the room. Well, they never said you were not allowed. Yeah. It is a catastrophic decision to bring Ellen Burson back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No part of that plot line worked for me. Right. So you're an exorcist superhero. Got it. Like you've been through this before. Yeah. I I must admit, I got a little thrill seeing her. Mm -hmm. Uh, I get to meet, I get to meet her in real life once and she's amazing. Uh, But and so there's part of me that was just like, wow, they got her. That's Mm -hmm. cool. But you're right. they, They do nothing with it nothing whatsoever it's a waste of everybody's time it's this weird like divergence into you know it's stunt casting in the in its worst permutation you know it's there's this whole plot line of oh she and linda blair's character are estranged from each other because she went lot she went public with the exorcist stuff and then i'm like i'm watching this i'm like yeah I don't like that. Like that's not I don't like that at all. That's not, that's not a good that's not a good outcome for that, you know, like <laughs> would re, would um would Chris McNeil really sacrifice her relationship with her daughter to go public with the exorcist stuff? Like, I believe that character would do this. She, I mean, she was a celebrity, right? She was a movie star. I believe she would do something like this, but that whole it we does really shit on the relationship you build in the first movie. What I, don't I recall from yeah. Chris McNeil from the first film is she was willing to sacrifice everything in her life to protect her daughter. So the idea that she's going to be like, I'm giving it up for some YouTube views. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. But it's like, all right, well, she she thought she was trying to help other people. Yeah. 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 But I'm like, okay, okay. Maybe there's going to be an interesting, nope. Just freaking fast forward all the way to the end of the story. And by the way, she's back now, you know, like her daughter's back at the end. Woo. Her daughter's back. That's it. That's it. What are we doing here? There's what like a whole doing? reel of this movie that was left out of this, you know? That, and, that, that's that's the that's really the refrain is what are we doing in this yeah. movie? What are we even doing? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you know, Jeff, on. you uh you <laughs> asked for our after dark to be rescheduled so you could watch the first one and then we could review it for the after dark in adva- before you watch this one. Um, do you think it would have like colored your reaction to the second one to have like yes. kind of watch them both at once, right? As opposed, to I'm really glad we we got to I mm-hmm. got to get my yeah. all my views out of rewatching the first Exorcist before this travesty was foisted upon me. Because <laughs> this might it might have tainted your perspective. I on think the first so. One. I, yeah. I I don't know. Maybe it, well, I certainly would have talked about it. You know, differently. I don't know if it would. I don't think it would have 
you know, made the maybe what it made me even stronger with my <laughs> my appreciation of the first movie. Yeah. But in contrast, you know, but um, I'm just glad I didn't have I, I, I'm glad I was sort of pure in that reaction going into this movie just you know looking forward to hopefully like uh, it could be as good as th what that movie is but yeah no it it is uh and the and dowd character mm -hmm. like again we get like two monologues and she's amazing she's amazing but that could have been that could have been the thrust of the film is is who is this woman and what's how is she going to be involved she could have been that that sort of grounding force, but the movie just doesn't care. It, it, well, I, yeah, it, yeah, it's got so many things that it's just regurgitating as pea soup onto the screen instead of actually spinning its head around and noticing it all. See what I did there? Um, anyway, I don't, I, I don't know why the Baptist minister was there at all. Like he's just like, I I thought we were having a party, guys. It's like I am. I was invited to the wrong party. I do not belong <laughs> in this room. No, no, no. Um, it's just so weird. None of it makes sense. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, one of the other areas, um, first of all, I don't even believe Baptists believe in exorcism. Like that's, I don't think that's an institution. I'm not sure, but like, mm -hmm. that's my sense. Well, they do now. But one of the <laughs> things that's so weird about the movie is how it handles the priest character because the priest, F Father Karras is like, other than, Chris McNeil is like the emotional center of the exorcist part one. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, well for the exorcist believer, we're going to take the ingredients from part one. We're going to like remix them a little bit. Now there's two girls that are need exorcism, but they're still a priest and Chris McNeil's still there. And so it's like, okay, okay. But then, um, like the way they introduce the priest is so clumsy. It, mm -hmm. It's like, oh, okay, so clumsy. He, this is going to be the, the big priest guy. Like he's going to be a big deal in this movie. And then it's like, oh, I can't wait to learn more about, maybe we're, this is going to be the new father curse. Basically know nothing about him. Basically don't, don't learn anything about him. Um, there is a, one of my favorite episodes of the Treehouse of horror. And the Simpsons is mm -hmm. a parody of the shining called the shinning. And, uh, groundskeeper. Willie has. Sued. Yeah, he has the shinning powers. Yep. And like he finally like bursts through to save Bart at the end and then just immediately gets annihilated. I mean, to <laughs> be fair, that's what happens to every priest in uh, at least the first exorcist, right? So, you well, know, maybe he was afraid. But, but, I, but I do wonder if it, his character. It is comical it, in this it, movie. It's, how it's like it's, it's like, oh, we're building up to the priest having a big moment. He comes immediately. He is killed. After I, think I actually kind of liked that <laughs> yeah. in the sense that because yeah. he like really walks in as like, he's like, I'm this. here to I'm save the day. It's like, when like the, it's like the part when the Avengers, like in the Avengers part one, when like the camera twirls <laughs> yeah. around and you see like all the different here. It's like he's it, I started cackling because I was like, yeah, this is hilarious. The priest coming in with a Bible and being like. I think it was yeah. meant to be funny. I think it uh, was, it was uh, undermining, yeah. subverting those expectations in it, yeah. and it was supposed to be mm -hmm. humorous. And I and I thought it was I effective, so. but, I because but, it, but effective that, in the wrong mm. way, in the sense that like <laughs> we don't have anybody. It should have been the Anne Dowd character, yes. right? It mm -hmm. should have been, or or if you're gonna have two kids, two girls from different backgrounds, then have there really be this conflict of how we're which which faith we're going to go with, or, you know, there's right. going to be some conflict of how we're going to deal with it. That would be a kind of interesting. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, Oh, we got to do this, you know, this sort of Catholic thing or no, we're not going to do. Yeah. But the but movie completely abandons any notion the, of that. The problem is Jeff with, with that plan is like the, I mean, that's a good plan. That's a good mm -hmm. idea. The problem is the, the, 
the other girl is not a point of view character. Like, right. I think she really needs to be a POV character, just like Chris McNeil and Karis were both point of view characters in the original Exorcist. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have this conflict between these two families, you need them both to be point of view characters as opposed to like, oh, this girl who like, I thought was going to be a secondary character is now like one of the main two people that yeah. we need to care about. It's just, there's so, it's just it's weird. Such a bizarre mess. decisions. It's just so bizarre it, it decisions, felt right? pointless like, when she dies basically. Like, right? Cause we didn't yeah. really care about her. Like well, that's it, the whole it, point. It, We're supposed yeah. to feel okay because yeah. that one w- was the one that killed and her family. We don't really like them. It's like, right. it's so toothless. It's so like, right. Don't, a, we're not going to upset you too yeah. much audience because yeah. the bad girl died and uh, with the bad family and the yeah. people that are, we don't really, they're kind of annoying. Yeah. Like, it's like, come on. It's, and, it's, and you're saying, Jeff, so it would have been more bold to like kill someone we actually like, or you, or know, you know, like let or, us yeah. let us actually, as the audience, wrestle with that impossible mm-hmm. Sophie's choice, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. the movie gets to this place of a Sophie's choice of choose which darling innocent child is going to die. If we do, if you don't, they both die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That okay? Now we're in some place of that's interesting. And I like that initial moment too. Like, uh, the, both parents, like, uh, what the mom and the dad, you know, on the different sides, they're like, I'm not going to choose. Right. And I yeah. think that, that, that is kind of interesting. They wrestle with it. And then the one, the shithead coward just like ruins everything. Oh, and he I got love, his because he, got he was his. being a shithead coward. It's like, that is yeah. the most pat easiest. It's yeah. letting the audience off the hook. It's letting mm-hmm. the audience, instead of actually making you wrestle with this horrible thing, and, and, and actually making you uncomfortable, actually going, oh my God, pure evil means there is no right answer to this. Mm-hmm. Like that's interesting. And the movie just completely cops out. It's, it's, it's so, it's such it's a, a waste. Yeah. Cause there, there are threads of good ideas too. Um, I like the, the ultimate re- realization or the demon saying like, oh yeah, you did not actually choose to have this daughter, right? Like you chose your wife over her and that, that conflict and seeing him wrestle with that throughout the movie would have been more interesting. Um, yes. I do. I have a lot of issues with this movie just opening straight up uh, in Haiti uh, for the, the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, which was a horrific event, which killed countless people. And it's it kind of feels weird and gross for it to be just the way to lift off an exorcist reboot. I don't know. Did not feel great about that either. Yeah, I'm, I'm aligned with you on that, in, in mm-hmm. that it's using a real life tragedy to kind of set this thing up. Yeah. Um, there have been some people who have uh, called this movie anti-abortion, which I don't. I don't agree with. I, I don't quite. I, I, I yeah, don't think it has quite. really any kind of coherent ideology other than um, people come together feel good, people joining mm-hmm. hands feel good. You know, like that's kind of what it is. Um, yeah. And that, that's really, you know, the, to make the original point, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of what it's trying to say is like. It's trying to be a more universalist version of the exorcist. It's yes. trying to say, like, yes. hey, it doesn't matter what religion you are as long as you believe in the Christian God. Yes, like, yes. Like we all come <laughs> yes. we all come together and like Yeah, the we can, it definitely <laughs> the one thing it comes out against, honestly, is atheism. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, because it establishes yeah. that guy, Victor, as as a non-believer. I mean, yeah. literally called believer. So and he's a non-believer. <laughs> he's the only one who's like, Well, I was wrong. I guess I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a similar journey to what Father Karras goes through in the first film, but like much more effectively in the first film, in my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, you, you see his struggles with it in a way that I think is is um, more meaningful in the first film. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. is an amazing actor, but I just think the material is just not strong enough in this film. So, any other thoughts about? 
the Exorcist Believer. Are we getting two more of these or just one more? Supposed to be supposed to be a trilogy, be although David Gordon Green has said he's not sure if he's directing the next two. Okay. But I again but I have very yeah. few complaints about his actual direction. I mean, yes, the yeah. exorcism itself was not too. um was not that exciting, but um uh, and, and actually let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, I do yeah, think it's that, weird. I do think that we we lose a lot in the transition from Exorcist One to Exorcist of the Believer, mm-hmm. because the Exorcist One used a ton of practical effects, right? Like vomit actually coming out, you know, head turning, bed lifting up, like all the, like her floating was done using cables. Like mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff was done practically. And there's just a lot more CG in this movie. There's just not and much that happens though. It's yeah, it's okay. not, yeah, not much. Yeah. I kept waiting for there to be some transgressive in, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, jarring horrific thing that ha- and nothing happens oh nothing. just wait jeff just wait till next week oh don't do i that think i think probably also <laughs> something um that like you know jeff in our after dark conversation you were saying how one of the quote-unquote fun thing like you appreciate the, the exorcist differently now mm-hmm. but one of the quote-unquote fun things of watching it back then was like oh look at the cute adorable girls say like horrible use horrible language um and that concept just holds less power today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, because kids are a lot less innocent today. I, I see you know, TikTok. Like, yeah, yeah you, see, you see what you, you see what the Gen Z is consuming on TikTok. And it's just like, um, I think just uh, everyone of all ages is more worldly these days. So I, I think the shock value is just not there as it was back then. But yeah, uh, just the stuff that happens during the exorcism, the concept of the exorcism, mm-hmm. the execution of all the idea that all these people coming together, none of it was particularly effective. And that's a huge bummer, you know, because that's really what you need to deliver on. It just gets, the movie gets really close to being a solid film. So just, close. Just I think that's what's it, so disappointing. Fumbles yeah. it at the 20 yard line, unfortunately. So, well, anyway, despite everything we have just said, at the end of the day, it is still impressive that David Gordon Green made a movie. But that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Our spoiler bumper and weekly plugs music, music comes from Noah Ross. Um, and thanks to Kurt Mega for video assistance with this episode of the podcast. Next week, it's going to be where, sorry, When Evil Lurks is mm-hmm. the name of the movie. Uh, counter-programming for uh, the Eras Tour, but you you should check out either one. Uh, check out either When Evil Lurks or the Taylor Swift Eras Tour. I'm supporting whatever is going to get yeah. our movie theaters back Taylor probably business. needs your money less than uh, than When Evil Lurks. So. Well, the, yeah. that's true, but also the movie theaters need your money regardless. So as long as you're seeing something, uh, I'm for it. So check it out. That's going to be our review next week, When Evil Lurks, out in theaters. Um, but wherever you are, Uh, Whatever you're doing, we hope you're staying safe. And we'll see you next week right here on the Filmcast. Goodbye.